Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our podcast about earning a living independently doing something you love. Today's guest is someone who has called himself a fizzle-born entrepreneur. And we hadn't caught up in a while, but Richard Lowe reached out to me recently, and it had been several years, and magic has happened in those several years, I would say. And we're going to get to hear all about Richard's story today. He is the founder of the Shared Practices Podcast. Dr. Richard Lowe is a captain in the Army and an Army dentist based in Indianapolis. Richard, thank you so much for being on the show today. Corbett, thank you for having me on. This is an honor, and I have been a dedicated listener to The Fizzle Show for a long, long time now. So it's, it's kind of crazy to be here on the flip side. I was trying to think back to when we last spoke before this recent spate of conversations, but it had been at least three or four years. And I remember talking to you regularly every week or so. And there was this like major turning point in your life. Uh, and then suddenly I didn't hear from you. And it's totally my bad for not following up with you. But, you know, sometimes these things happen. And, and eventually you're like, I wonder what happened. But then you reached out again and everything's actually been going really well. Before we like jump into all that and, and the big turning point and all that stuff, tell us about the Shared Practices podcast and, and about the, the life that you live as an army dentist. Sure. No, so, and, and I'll take maybe just one baby step back from that. I graduated from dental school in 2015 from Midwestern University in Arizona. And I did so through the Army scholarship. The Army paid for dental school, which is huge because dental school these days keeps creeping up and you can get federal loans for it. So the federal government keeps lending and so schools can increase their tuition. So now it's north of $400,000, $500,000 of student loans, all at like 6% interest. Four to $500,000. Yes. That uh, is obscene. I hadn't heard that. So that, that's like average for a private or out-of-state dental school. State dental schools, you can maybe creep into the 200 to 300 range if you're lucky. But across the board, if you want to be a dentist now, through most schools, out-of-state or private, it's nearly half a million dollars. And I'm sure that these are things that you talk about on your podcast, but I can't imagine that you can open a practice for less than several million dollars, probably. Eh, you can. I would say about another 500 to a million plus to, to buy a dental practice or to open one. You could do it for probably five, 600,000. So to, to be a million, I mean, some people go straight from undergrad to dental school to, and, and then if you were to go open a practice right away, you're a million dollars in debt and maybe have never really truly worked a day in your life. Like you've been a student, 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 all of a sudden practice owner, practitioner with a ton of debt and then add a house on top of that. I mean, it's pretty mind boggling the journey that a lot of people take these days. Yeah. And just the, the stress involved as well. Yes. And so, so you were able to go a completely different path. Yeah, I was a big Dave Ramsey listener and fairly dead adverse from my family and religious background as well. And so I heard about this army scholarship, actually the same from the same person who encouraged me to seek out dentistry. He was a dental student doing the army scholarship. He said, go to dental school and get the army to pay for it. And so I, sure enough, I applied for dental school. I got in, applied for the scholarship, got the scholarship. And it's a full ride scholarship. 
Wow. Um, covers tuition, books, fees, gives you a living stipend during dental school. Um, very, very grateful for the Army and everything they've done for me. And, but at the same time, I've been an entrepreneur like since I was a kid, you know, like putting up Otter Pop stands outside and, and sending a friend on a bicycle to go, you know, sell 25 Otter Pops around the neighborhood. And in dental school, that didn't stop. You know, I got my realtor's license. I was listening to Bigger Pockets. I was trying to like wholesale and flip homes and sell homes for friends. And then there's a website, like a forum, back when Facebook groups didn't exist, there was one dental forum where everyone went called dentaltown.com. And that was the only access I had to like actual dentists. And people would post about their practices. They'd post cases. It was a very robust, active forum of, of a ton of dentists. And they had, an, uh, they had a magazine as well. They were a media company. So they had a magazine that went over to like 90,000 dentists. Like they're pretty, pretty big in the industry. And they happened to be lo- located in Phoenix where my dental school was. And I had read this book, Never Eat Alone. I think it's like Keith Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi, yeah. Yeah. And I made a list of all the people in the dental industry that I wanted to meet. And one of them was, was the founder of this company, Dentaltown, Howard Ferran. And sure enough, I got to meet him, reached out to him in his forum. He invited me out to his practice. I, I brought him to our dental school. He spoke to our dental school. And then I kept throwing myself at his company as a student intern. Every time a, a job position would, would list, I would apply. And the hiring manager was like, no, this is a full-time position. Like, stop applying for these. Like, you're, you're still in dental school. We can't hire you. Eventually, they caved and they hired me as a student intern. And I promoted their forum to dental students. But I also ended up helping the founder of this company, Howard Fran, produce his podcast from my senior year of dental school. Oh, cool. Um, and, and so you, you, were, you were a fan of podcasts, I assume, at that point? Yeah. yeah. And, and there wasn't much out there in the dental industry at the time. There was like one major dental podcast that talked about business ownership and running a practice and, and really actually even anything. My first two years of dental school there was one episode that would come out each week and I would like listen every single week to that. And I wanted more. And so I was trying to encourage other dentists and I was getting to know other dentists who were getting into podcasting. How many, just curious, you know, when we, we talk a lot about niching down and so on yeah. and, and, and you worry about, well, how many people are in this audience if I'm going to focus on something specific like that? How many dentists are there approximately in the, in the United States, do you think? That's a great question. I know there's 5,000 new dentists every year from dental schools. Every year. I would say like 200, 300,000 maybe. Yeah. Okay. Maybe more. And then you have to ask yourself how many of those listen to podcasts, how many of those are at a stage where they would care about these things. Right. But you're talking about, you know, probably a a total potential audience of 100,000 or less. Absolutely. Okay. And... And and people were encouraging me to start a podcast. So this guy, Howard Fran, was encouraging me to start one. I made friends with another dentist who's got a kind of launched a very successful dental podcast called Dental Hacks that had a broad appeal. And they were saying, you should start your own. And I'm thinking, at that point, I was a new grad. I'd graduated from dental school. I'm a new army dentist with, you know, another five, six years in the army. And who would listen to me? Like, what would I, I'm not an authority on anything clinical. I'm not an authority on anything practice management business wise. But at the same time, I did have an inkling of like, I really want a dental podcast that will walk me through the journey into practice ownership, like connect the dots from graduation to should I be a practice owner to how to actually find and buy a dental practice and then how to run it. And that didn't exist. 
And so I had this inkling of like, well, maybe, maybe I could do that, even though I don't know all the answers to those questions. And these were all questions that you probably wanted to know the answers to yourself. Absolutely. No, I, I had a huge fear that I would get out of the army and I would be six years behind my colleagues, all of my friends who you know, went straight into practice ownership that bought the practice despite the fact they had the student loans. And that even though I didn't have the student loans, so in some ways, you know, I'm ahead in certain ways, I couldn't own a practice. And so there was this serious angst of like kind of missing out on this aspect of dentistry, the business aspect of dentistry that I wanted to be a part of. And I was like, maybe I can, maybe I can channel that angst. It's, you mentioned earlier, you know, that some people go through school, they go through dental school, and then they jump right into not only their first day of practice, but sometimes their first day of business ownership at the same time. Yeah. I cannot imagine trying to do both of those things at once. Right. And so you are at this point, you know, five or six years into your clinical practice and you're, you're, for people listening to this, you're, you said just a few months from separating from the army. Six months. Yeah. June or April of 2021 was when I'll be done. So you've gotten years of clinical practice under your belt. You're comfortable there and you've steeped yourself in all of this knowledge of how to start a practice, but you also have your own business now based around the podcast. So there's a lot of interesting things percolating here, I think. And and there's another one I'll, I'll throw in a little teaser. I ended up buying into buying a group of three practices while I'm still in the army, which is a whole nother thing that we might, we may or may not have time to get into. But so straight out of school, I'm I'm in the army. I was about a year in, I, I stumbled across fizzle. I think it was two things. It was DIY video guy with Caleb mm-hmm. and a microphone review YouTube video that Chase had made. Yeah. And, and between those two, I found Fizzle. I was like, oh, this solves all of my problems. Like, I don't know how to do this. I have this idea. I want to create this resource for myself and for others. And when I found Fizzle, it was just this like light bulb. I went back to episode one, listened to every single one of the podcast episodes, signed up online. I, I, it was one of those like shut up and take my money type situations where, you know, I, I found the website I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I want and what I need. And going through every video on the roadmap and posting my journey, posting my weekly updates and, and the community there. And there were some things that Fizzle really did for me that I think set me up for success. And, and first was the... I would say the five-year perspective. I mean, you guys literally talked about having a five-year perspective on, you know what, I'll do this thing for a period of time. It's going to take a while to get traction. And I had a five-year timeline. I I had five years until I got out of the army. And I thought, you know what, I'll do this podcast. If no one's listening in five years, I'll shut it down. And and that was really helpful to have that up front, to not have this expectation of like, you're going to be Joe Rogan tomorrow type thing. Yeah, exactly. And and just to just to kind of settle you down a little bit, right? You you already had FOMO of missing out on what your classmates were doing after they graduated. And I can imagine sometimes that, you know, when you're starting a podcast or a blog or whatever, I I mean, I've felt this myself. You feel like there's so much to do and you have to you have to hurry up and get everything done at once. Right. And uh, just kind of like, you know, taking that pressure off sometimes can help you actually do the work that needs to be done. Absolutely. And, and with that patience also came the roadmap. So for me, the roadmap of you guys had had these customer conversations, you figured out what are the pain points of 
a new online entrepreneur, how can we solve those in a sequential way from their starting point all the way through their journey? And I took that concept and I said, what if we could do that for practice ownership? What if we could make a season by season podcast that does a deep dive on like one topic for that season? And those seasons line up with the chronological journey. And they're focused on, you know, the exact pain points and problems that my generation of dentists have. So you guys always talk about niching down. You know, we're talking about dentistry, dentists who listen to podcasts. And then further, we made the very conscious or I made the very conscious decision to say, I don't care about all of the dentists who are already successful, who already have a practice, who are or who are not interested in practice ownership. I want this thin slice of dentists that are young, in debt scared out of their minds, but want to be practice owners and don't know how to get there. That's who I'm going to serve. And I don't care about anyone else. And, you know, you mentioned 5,000 people graduate from school every year. And so probably, you know, if you're in this group, you're talking about you're within your first 10 years or so of, of being a dentist. Yep. So you've narrowed it down to 50,000 total, but there's a big swath of those who never want to own a practice. So or never want to listen to a podcast. Or never want to listen to a podcast. So you're getting smaller and smaller. Were you worried about choosing a niche that's, that's so narrow? You know, the, the flip side of it was that I was solving my own problems. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, like I said, if no one else benefits from this, I still would learn how to buy a successful practice and buy the right practice and and learn along the way. So it was kind of this like, no lose situation of even if this doesn't turn into a viable business, I need this right now for me. And so that was kind of the where I came at it from. It's definitely a case of the the leading learner. You know, yeah. we've talked about that a lot. Also, something comes to mind. Are you familiar with Austin Kleon? He's a he's an author. He has a book called Show Your Work. Mm. And the whole idea is just while you're, you know, making something, show all the stuff that happens along the way. And, you know, here you are thinking, well, five years from now, I'm going to want to own a practice. So I'm just going to share my notes with the world. Right. And then you have this amazing excuse to go and interview all the people that you would want to get access to anyway. Before we continue, here's a word from our sponsor. ConvertKit helps entrepreneurs earn a living by evolving their side hustle with tools to help sell products and grow their business. You can showcase your product and upcoming projects by building a custom landing page in minutes, saving time to help you focus on your business. ConvertKit's email designer helps you create beautiful, simple emails that will help turn your casual audience into true fans. Writing professional and personalized emails about your business and products helps connect you with your audience. ConvertKit's free plan helps entrepreneurs like you turn your passions into a full-time career by growing your audience, promoting your business, and building a meaningful relationship with your fans. So head over to convertkit.com slash fizzle show to sign up for a free account and find your audience faster. That's convertkit.com slash fizzle show. And, and that ability to interview the people that normally you have to pay to go see and listen to, and it's not custom to exactly the questions you want answered is pretty powerful. I think there is so much inherent value. If you're learning about something you really care about from being a podcast host that I didn't, I didn't realize how good that would be and how valuable that would be. The other thing is that we decided not only are we going to serve this niche, I want to be able to help two people within this niche. One is the, the I mean, it was literally my, my office mate in the army 
he was on the verge of getting out of the army. He hadn't really thought about the business stuff. He was kind of the opposite of me. He's like, I'm just going to do my time in the army and then I'll get out and I'll worry about private practice then. And he had the decision point of, do I stay in? Do I get out? Should I be a practice owner? But really no business foundation, no entrepreneurial spirit to him, but still thought that he kind of wanted that. And so I was like, okay, I want to be able to take someone who has no foundation of knowledge and walk them through A to Z through this journey to be able to talk at their level. But I also want to serve who I was in dental school, the dental mm-hmm. student who is hungry for the next level of you know, truly best practices and practice management and how to run a dental practice, how to lead a team, how to hire and market and do all of these things. I want to be able to explain to the newbie, but get deep enough to feed those who, who want to go deep. And that helped us in our seasons too, where we said, rather than being the shotgun podcast of like whoever we have on one week, it's a clinical guest, one week it's a, a product or a company and the next week it's just a dentist and we're... We said, no, we we're, we're going to focus on one topic and go deep for as long as it takes until we've covered that topic to, to our satisfaction. And so our first season was, should I be a practice owner? Is this right for me based on my appetite for risk, my willingness to learn how to be a business owner, my willingness to manage other people? And, and is it worth it? Is it is this just digging yourself further in debt or are you giving yourself the leverage and the tools to then you know, take care of those student loans in, in a meaningful way. And the very second episode of the podcast, we interviewed a dentist who went straight from dental school, bought a practice. So his first day in practice was also his first day of business, business ownership. And he was two weeks into it. And you could hear in his voice, the stress, like he admitted on air to like just going home and crying sometimes, like it just being so stressful. And we caught his very vulnerable early journey, but still like determined. And and he he had bought the right practice, which was key. And so, you know, we talked about that whole, each step of his journey of how he selected that practice and what that meant for him. And, And it clicked for us too, that we're like, we want these real authentic stories of people going through this journey at different points on this journey. And we got to, to record with him in a year later and then another year after that. So we've gotten updates from him. He's done very, very well, paid off his student loans and, and, and doing all these things. But that like moment of, okay, combination of storytelling and emotion and, but also sharing his journey, like this is what we want to be about is, is people's authentic journeys that normally you, you can't get from them unless you're talking with them, you know, one-on-one in a room with them. You've mentioned something a couple of times. You've said the word season, seasons, our first season, our second season. What defined a season for you and, and why did you decide to break things up into seasons? So, so we actually made an eight season roadmap of, okay, what do we think chronologically these topics are going to be? So, okay, season one is going to be, should I be a practice owner and all of the pre-ownership stuff. So like your first job working for someone else, financially preparing for ownership, associateships, CE learning. We made the, the choice to say, we're not going to put a limit on seasons. So it's going to be a, a group of topics that we cover until we've covered it. Mm. And then we, so our first season was 16 episodes. And then we're going to move on to the next season, which for us was acquisitions. So how do I actually find a dental practice, value it, negotiate the real estate, the terms, the closing, the transition, all of that. That one ended up being initially 44 episodes. And 
the, the thing that was so useful about having seasons was that we could ignore a bunch of topics and people who wanted to be on the show. And we also made the decision of, we're going to go deep on stuff that doesn't lend itself well to podcasting. Like we, we made the, the choice of saying, if something wouldn't be a good topic, we're going to do it anyway. So profit and loss statements. We did like four episodes or no, six episodes on practice valuation in season two of, okay, if you find a dental practice, how do you know, is this a lemon? Is this a good one? Or is, you know, is this going to tie me down and be a frustrating source of you know, non-income and liability and stress? Or is this going to allow me to grow and, and take care of patients and take care of my team and all these things? How do you know, A from B, is this a good practice or not? Let's dive deep, even though talking about numbers like that doesn't seem like it would be a good podcast topic. And did you second guess yourself and or did you get feedback from people when you were going deep on these topics that might be sort of mundane? They ended up being our best episodes. I mean, ironically, because that's the information that that people, it's like, even though it's very dense and deep and thick, it's a podcast. So you can re-listen to it as many times as you want, take notes on it. And that was the kind of stuff that like, that's the clincher of like, should I buy this practice or not? Is this a good practice? And so even though it's not the right format, we figured let's just get the information out there and then people can digest it at their own pace. And maybe we can summarize it and put it into a more palatable format later, which we did. Mm -hmm. And you, you also keep using the word we. At this point, is yeah. it just you or, or did you have other people involved? Well, so the timing of all this, I also started the podcast right as it was August of 2016, right as I started a two-year residency, advanced education in general dentistry. Basically, you do a little bit more of everything under specialists. You learn wisdom teeth, root canals, all that. I remember listening to the, the Fizzle podcast while doing root canals on like extracted teeth. And like, it was an episode that I had submitted a question and you guys answered it. And I'm like, working on a tooth, listening to your show. And I was like, oh, this is my question. But residency is kind of a bad time to start a podcast. I, at that point, I was, I was married. I had two young kids. We had a, a, a three-year-old and a, a one-year-old. And it got to a point where my wife approached me and she said, I'm, I'm a little frustrated because you come home and you disappear into the closet to go podcast. I don't want to feel guilty for asking for your time and attention. And it was a, a very light bulb moment of maybe stuff's gotten out of balance. And it got pretty bad to the point where I was in class and my wife drove to my work with a packed suitcase, put it in the trunk of my car, and then went home and texted me, I've put a trunk in your, in your or a suitcase in your car, find a hotel tonight, you need to figure out your priorities. Like family podcast residency, you get to choose two of the three. So things came to like quite a head. Um, this, was, this was at a period of time, I remember you showing up to our Fizzle Friday coaching calls. Yeah. You would often be in a car, going somewhere, in an office, doing something, and constantly like involved in something else, listening to our coaching call. And then if it was your turn to chat, you would have to you know pause whatever you were doing, pull over to the side of the road, you know, and, and taking those 10 minutes. So you were, not only were you crazy busy, but you were also multitasking. You were, you were doing three things at once and just had to, like, you had tremendous energy at that point. But even with all of that energy, all of that multitasking, you still end up dropping a ball somewhere. I yeah. mean, residency is how many hours a week of, of work? It's like, oh, I mean, I pulled all nighters 
all the time throughout residency of to meet deadlines, to, to prepare for cases. I mean, I, I really lived there a lot. And I tried to be home to put the kids to bed as often as I could and, and be there for dinner. But a lot of times it was turning right back around and going back to the residency and, and being there till late, late at night. And to carve out time for the podcast, I'd wake up at 4 or 5 a.m., and edit the podcast or, or, you know, even record. I, there were some people on, on the West Coast that I could record with who were willing to wake up early and, and that was when I could find a spot to record with them. So it was taking a, a bit, pretty big toll. And, but I had so much passion for it and I saw the potential in it. And when all of this happened, I reached out to some friends that I had been talking with and one of them said, you know what, I'll help you with this. And I, I threw at him, I said, okay, if you're willing to, I, I really need help and I'll make you a partner on this. And I made the decision, I said, if you'll put in some sweat equity here and run this for like, you know, I had done 16 episodes at that point. If you'll produce pretty much the next 16 on your own or then you can have 50% of my company, which at that point I had next to no revenue. And Although I, you, did, you did have sponsors, I remember very early on. And this was one of the things we talked about because you chose such a specific niche and because you chose a niche full of people who are clearly not averse to spending money, mm. it, you were able to attract some sponsors even for the very first season, yeah. which, was, which was cool. So it, it maybe it wasn't a lot of revenue, but there was some. There was some. No, for sure. I mean, I, it was, I think it was like $300 an episode. So, I mean, I was very grateful early on to have that revenue and that was buying mics and computers and a standing desk and you know other stuff like that and and i think some of it had to do with that internship where i had produced that other dentist podcast that i could speak this and and i i think what you also just said i'm very grateful to be in an industry of business owners so like my podcast is aimed at business owners who have a lot of expenses and have a lot of potential to grow their business and so therefore advertisers are very attracted to reaching those dentists and, and, you know, getting in front of them. So, you know, I have an audience with the ability to spend money as a business owner and then people who want that audience's attention that are willing to spend money as well. So that's, I, I remember listening to other people on the coaching calls on Fizzle and, and thinking like, oh man, that would be so hard to have to kind of create value and, and sell things to someone when there wasn't an immediate turnaround where someone could make more money from this. Mm -hmm. So, I want to just go back to that that pivotal moment where your wife literally packs your suitcase and says, yeah. hey, buddy, get your shit together. I need to know what priority this family is to you. Right. And that must have been hard. That Did, did that knock you back a bit and uh, make you reconsider everything? Yeah. Well, and we wrote down pros and cons. I considered dropping the residency. When she said that, I was like, okay, I, I see, I care deeply about this podcast and, and what it has the potential to do. I'm willing to drop out, which would be a big faux pas in the army, to drop out of a residency, which then leaves a vacant slot. I would still owe more time back because even though I would, didn't finish the residency, I had incurred some obligation there. So it would have been a really kind of hard thing to do. And I, I really wanted to do the residency. But when she saw that I cared that much about this. And then I brought on a partner, but yeah, it was a hard moment. It was, it was a moment of, uh, but I was at the point, that's what I needed to bring on a partner. I was like, I'll, I would rather have 50% of something that's growing than 100% of something that's dead. 
And, and I, I am so glad that that decision point came because I, I lucked into an incredible partner that has taken our business so much further than, than I ever would have. So I got really lucky and really fortunate out of that un, you know, unfortunate road mark or a fork in the road. And it's worked out really, really well. It's interesting. I, you know, I think a lot of us in times of stress and in times of like incredible work, can get these blinders on and feel like the only path forward is the one that's right in front of us that we've thought about a million times. And we can, we can be blind to alternatives that could unlock or could relieve a lot of that pressure. And so, you know, considering bringing a partner on, for example, is something that a lot of people might not do unless they were pressed really hard by something else in their life that they cared about a lot. So, you know, for anyone out there listening to this who just feels stuck, especially in the situation where you have multiple priorities, where you have a, you know, a day job that you're trying to run while you're getting this business off the ground, just try to lift your head up from the weeds for a minute and think about all the different ways that you could go about something. And I, I love what you said about owning 50% of something that's growing versus 100% of something that is dead end. Absolutely. And my, so my dad right now is going through a kind of a similar, he's trying to start up an online business, maybe write a book or do a podcast. And he's been on my show a few times and he's talked about bringing on partners. And I've realized now I have some criteria number of how to decide if someone would be a good partner. And in my mind, there's three things. Number one, they have to have passion for what you're doing and what you're creating, but then they need to not only share your vision, but preferably have a higher vision than what you've got. Mm -hmm. So every time we've brought on a partner, we now there's three of us now, that person has the same passion and the same or higher vision. And then lastly, a complementary skill set. Mm. And, and those are my criteria. If, if someone doesn't have those things, I probably wouldn't bring them on as a partner. And, and complementary meaning instead of overlapping, you mean, let's say, for example, that you are really good on the microphone. If you're going to bring a, a partner on, that'd be fine if they had that, but you want them to have something else that, that you I, don't have, like maybe technical skills. Right. And, and for example, my partner, George, he is a great delegator and I am not. And so I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm going to edit this myself. I'm going to do everything myself. He was great at, okay, how can we set this up as a system? How can we, you know, hire some of these things out? And then our partner, Matt, he is a great integrator. He's a great getting things done person. Whereas George and I are both visionaries. George is just better at delegating and I mm -hmm. tend to get you know, stuck in the details. And so you, for us, that ended up being a great combination. So yeah, complementary skills, either you know, technical versus podcast versus you know, website or you know, online courses, figure out some way that that person can, can expand what you're able to do together. Did you have uh, any moments as you were building the podcast where you questioned everything? And, and I don't mean, you know, because of your competing priorities, but just whether or not this was going to go anywhere, whether or not it was worth your time. Did you have moments where it was hard to get up and do the work or to show up and record the episode, that sort of thing? Oh, yeah. No, there have been times where I've wanted to burn the whole thing to the ground or walk away. And, and some of those have been kind of a, a tail end of a season as I kind of get to the end of a topic and realizing I'm no longer excited about this topic. It's been a decision point to realize, oh, maybe we should start a new thing or move on to the next season of, of the show. 
but absolutely. And um, that's the other thing that having a partner has been nice for is there are times where I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm burned out. Can you take a month or two of running the podcast? Or, you know, one of us has more going on, but a hundred percent ups and downs. Sometimes I'm super excited about it. And sometimes it's one of those things that causes me more stress than joy. It brings me depending on the day or the week even. You said that there are three of you now, the podcast has grown, the business has grown more than you would have built it yourself by now. Tell us about where it's at now. Like what, so, you know, you, you started recording a podcast, you had some sponsors and show and so on, but I assume that you've done more than that up till this point. What, what was that transition and, and what sort of, you know, revenue sources and things did you start to build? Sure. So after advertising, after that second season was done of how to find a dental practice and buy one, the, the thought was, let's build a course that condenses all of this information from this season into a very manageable step-by-step online course with a manual that ships out. And George built that while I was in residency, my partner, and, and he sold that course. And so I lucked into this partner that had the, the gumption and the drive to, to do this. But, you know, that was always the intention to do it at some point. He just wanted to do it sooner because he had more bandwidth to do it. And so we built our first online course. We've, we've launched that via webinar multiple times and, and done, you know, a couple hundred thousand of, of course sales in, in the past three years of, of doing that course launch over time. We built another course about case acceptance, about how to present treatment and not have patients balk at, at like, oh, this is expensive. I don't want to do this. Or, you know, how dare you say there's that much wrong with my teeth? How to present it in a way that even if they say no, they still love your practice and are, are going to refer people to you. So we did a, a whole we did a whole season on that. And then we did a course on that. And that's been a common theme is we'll do a season on a topic and then we'll build a course around that. But we, we've had a lot of these... Uh, conversations of how do we scale our business? How do we turn this into something more? And we've tried probably 10 different things from kind of acting as intermediaries for brokers and selling practices. And we did that for a minute. We didn't like that. We tried like some other sub businesses, like my partner created a magazine for his dental practice that he would send out to patients. He's like, maybe we could turn this into a business where we, we create magazines for dentists that they can send out as a, as a marketing piece. Now we're at the point where we finally, after multiple years of iterating, have a very clear lineup of what our offerings are. And we're building an online subscription academy, which is the lowest tier, a mastermind, which is the the mid-tier, and then one-on-one coaching. And we're training coaches internally within our company. So for a while, George and Matt, my partners have done the coaching, and now we've hired a head of coaching. She's training coaches underneath her and so we've got this, you know, a variety of levels. If, if people want to listen to the podcast, they can get all the information for free. If they want our courses, if they want to be in the mastermind, or if they want coaching, which includes all of the things underneath it. And we just had, we read a book about a year ago called Traction. It's this entrepreneurial, you know, meeting 10-year goal system. And my partner set a goal a year ago that in 10 years, we'd have 10 million in revenue. And I kind of did not think that was possible. I was very skeptical. And after a year of meeting together every, every the other week and doing quarterly meetings and refocusing ourselves, we finally are at this business model and are starting to see some traction and are to the point where it's like, no, actually, this is, this is pretty reasonable. I mean, if they had never 
set that goal and worked backwards, we would not be where we are right now. And we had to make some decisions of hiring someone who we really honestly couldn't afford, but was the right person for this director of coaching position and haven't taken a ton of profit from, from this podcast because we've continued to reinvest it into it. And I think next year, next summer, I think might be the final turning point where it's, you know, paying out more than we're just kind of continually reinvesting, but it's, it'll be five years exactly from when I started it that, you know, we're truly actually a profitable company rather than this, you know, scrappy startup podcast trying to do different things all along the way. Has this changed your mind or your plans with regards to your practice once you separate from the army? Yeah, many times actually. And that's been one of the the biggest things is I ended up moving to Indiana where I'm going to settle after the army. I'm I'm recruiting for the army here, medical recruiting, physicians, nurses, dentists. I found a group of 3 practices and bought them with some partners that I had met via the podcast. And so I have now bought practices while still being full-time in the army, which is not recommended. It sounds get, like several things that you've done are not recommended, but they've worked out for you. They've worked out. And, and I've been very grateful for the opportunities, but it continues. The podcast continues to change my trajectory and vision, vision for uh, what I'm doing in practice. And, and I think that's been the incredible thing about it for us as partners and, and the listeners of our show. We have people who come up and tell us all the time, I bought my dental practice because of your podcast and to see the progress that they've made. And it's changed our lives and our decision-making around this as well. And so it's, we're now at the point where we're making a lot of content for practice owners because we feel like we owe it to those that we convinced that practice ownership was a good thing and gave them the tools to get into practice ownership. Now we wanna help them be successful and there's a lot of work to, to do there. And, and so that's where we're living right now. It's, it's been an incredible journey. Did you learn anything along the way about growing the podcast specifically? What, what did you do to find your initial audience? You know, just even though there aren't that many podcasts out there on dentistry, you still have to get this in front of people somehow. Sure. Um, it's been two things. The first was at the beginning, we made the loop. So, you know, we, we launched this podcast. It was a new idea. I appeared on as many dental podcasts as I possibly could. So the low-hanging fruit of dentists who already listen to podcasts we can work that way. The next has been honestly because we niche down so much and we've said we're going to serve this specific audience, we've gotten a lot of traction from people sharing the podcast and, and getting other dental students. The dental student market has been huge for us because people are in dental school for four years and they're thinking, how am I going to pay out on these loans? What am I going to do when I get out? And that crushing debt, that very stressful problem creates a lot of drive to find solutions. And when we come in and we've created this exact solution from their perspective, guiding them through this journey, it's gotten a lot of legs that way. So I think the low hanging fruit of other podcasts, number one, but then just serving your niche better than anyone else possibly could is number two. When in business, we talk about asking whether you are selling vitamins or painkillers. In your case, clearly these are painkillers because you said, you know, someone you interviewed literally was crying at home over the stress that he was feeling. That sounds like a, a serious pain point to me. Do you, looking back, feel like podcasting was the right medium for you? 
to grow your audience initially and to start building this business around? A hundred percent because I mean, number one, I hate writing. Writing is so stressful for me. When I interviewed for dental schools, I was asking the school, how much, how many papers do we have to write for this program? And I just wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. If it was a blog, any other format, it wouldn't happen. I also like talking and so do my partners, but also just capturing that, those stories and the emotion of those stories with a very low production cost and friction, you know, of, of just, let's get on a mic, let's, let's talk through your story. And that being incredibly valuable is, is exactly the medium that we've needed. And, and we kind of caught it on its upswing. We went from a time when there was, you know, maybe 10, 15 dental podcasts in the industry to now there's over 70 dental specific podcasts. And so we caught a great slice of it, but there are still shows that are coming up now that are doing well, despite it being a, a little bit more crowded space. Richard, I'm, I'm so glad that we caught up because, you know, the last time I heard from you, it was like this crazy moment for you trying to decide if you were going to continue your, your residency or bring someone on. And I remember specifically, there were some doubts around bringing a partner on. I think we actually cautioned you. Against it, yeah. Against it or about being really careful about bringing yeah. someone on because we've seen you know, both, both directions. We've sometimes seen people get really lucky with a great partner. We've also seen people end up regretting their partnership decision. Mm -hmm. What, what finally pushed you over the edge on that decision and, and led you just to say, I'm going to let this person sweat equity, work their way into owning half of this practice or half of this. Yeah. It, it really was that moment of crap, like my marriage is on the rocks at this point, my, my family life, the thing that I have been saying all along is the most important thing to me is now at Jeopardy because of this. And I am so grateful that my wife got that mad. I mean, there, I think Chase said, there's a pretty good chance that you're right, your wife is the right kind of bad A is, is what she told or what Chase told me when we had that, that conversation. And I, I, I absolutely got lucky. I mean, there's no way about it that if I had chosen a different partner this wouldn't have been the same. And, and at the same time, he had a lot of growing to do into, he wasn't as good of a podcaster. He wasn't as natural on the microphone. He's now phenomenal, but it took him multiple years. And, and there was a while where it was like, he, he, our third season was on startups. So instead of buying a dental practice, how do you start a dental practice from scratch? He hates startups. And so that season was kind of a flop of someone telling the story about something they don't care about. Mm. And he'll, he'll readily admit this at this point. But in the end, I mean, we're now the number one rated dental podcast out of 70 plus. We, we just hit a million downloads right at our four-year mark. And, and it was that pressure point of being willing to lose it all was when I was willing to bring a partner on. And sometimes it's those leaps of faith that you don't know how it's going to go either way. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it burns to the ground and you got to take your lessons from it, move on. And, and I was ready to go that route because I already, and mentally I'd already lost it. So I'm like, well, might as well. For people that are listening to this, who are back in, you know, who are maybe like you were, when you just started out, you, you're this person with a dream of growing an audience around a specific topic, and then maybe just seeing where it goes. But you've got all those doubts. You aren't sure where things are going to end up. You've got other things in your life that are competing for your attention. What would you, what advice would you give to them 
to, to be able to keep moving forward and to know whether or not it's worth it all. I think number one, having something that I really cared about and I felt like didn't exist and I was creating it for me and for people that I cared about was huge because there's no way that if this was just like some affiliate link scheme that I would wake up at 4am to be, you know, doing this, or it was something that was in me and I had to get out. And there were many times where I was in danger of, of fizzling out, but having that passion, number one, and then having some potential for upside, you know, I knew that this was an industry where this could gain traction and we could make money from this someday. And, but also knowing that, that at the end of the day, if it didn't, I could shut it all down and move on with my life and have a backup plan was a good balance, I guess, to have with all of that. Richard, thank you so much for being on today. This has been amazing for people listening to this. If they want to get a flavor, whether they're a dentist or not for what you're up to, they can find the shared practices podcast. I assume anywhere that podcasts exist, where could they go on the web as well? Sharedpractices.com. Our website, it's still the Squarespace one that I built four years ago. We're, we're currently undergoing some renovation there. But if you catch it right now, you're going to be like, really? This is, this is your website? So feel free to come criticize and then gain some confidence that you can put up a better website than, than I can. Awesome. Love it. Richard, thank you so much. Thank you so much for Fizzle and everything you guys have done. I really appreciate it. Love it. Everybody, thank you for listening. As always, you can find the show notes to this episode over at fizzleshow.co. This was episode number 377. Until next time, I'm your host, Corbett Barr. Thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show.